Welcome to Healthcare 2030. This program features conversations and interviews with respected healthcare industry experts discussing the latest topics regarding current issues today and the future of healthcare, innovation, and technology. To learn more about Oxio Health, head over to oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io. Now here's your host, Noel Guillama. Welcome to Healthcare 2030. My name is Noel Guillama, and I'm the chairman of Oxio Health Incorporated, a Florida-based healthcare platform company that combines services and technology to advance the care of patients. I'd like to introduce Carl Larson, the COO of Oxio Health. Well, good afternoon, Noel. Uh, pleasure to be here. We've uh, had some exciting podcasts, some good information that have been uh, discussed, and I think this one is really going to be good because we're going to be talking about population health. Absolutely. And we're also going to talk about uh, the real estate and the physicality of how uh, care is provided. Right. Continuing from our, our last podcast, uh, this is actually podcast number 23, and the subject continues to be uh, real estate and its place in healthcare delivery. Um, and also sort of the changes, dynamics in, in, in healthcare that are happening at the primary care and at the community level. So one of the things that, uh, that we want to discuss is literally the, the change how healthcare uh, is going to be after the pandemic. Right. In the United States, we're recording this in uh, late June of 2021, and uh, the conditions continue to improve. Um, but we're not back. We're not back, but there are certain things that, that are uh, are going to be lingering. And, and part of them, and if remember the discussion we had the last time, is we had a material drop in Medicare expenses, expenditures and expenses um, by about 7% from 2020 um, 20 to 2019. Um, basically, healthcare costs, healthcare costs dropped. That means that patients were seeing less patients, less activities, less um, elective care. You know, and sometimes it's kind of weird because... If you need a, a knee replacement, it's sort of called elective care uh, or elective procedures because you can schedule that around. So a lot of people that, that might need a knee replacement or even a hip replacement uh, or other uh, other type of interventions were delayed because, uh, first of all, the hospitals were only taking emergencies. And right. second, um, you know, many patients did not, and by the way, still do not want to go into a hospital because of their concern. Even, even, to, right. even people that have been inoculated and have received their vaccines are still not wanting to go because of the concern exposures to the variants right. A, B, C, D, I think we've got now. Whatever, yeah, whatever. Um, so it, it changes the dynamics. And at the same time, we've got this thing that we've talked about over and over is a growing baby boom population. About you know 10,000 people a day are turning 65. Right. So healthcare, in a really interesting way, um, I think accelerated by the pandemic, has become coming much more... Uh, consumerism or much more consumer driven and I think that's the interesting play that we have with 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 real estate where it is you know for histor historical purposes um, clinical operations medical operations even hospitals were not considered sort of a major driver in real estate and now in particularly especially when you take into account what has happened to retail uh, because of online um, commerce uh, there's a lot of empty retail space, and even even in nice communities, 
um, and people are now looking at how do we find something that's more stable, and one of that stability is healthcare, whether it's clinical, uh, literally, you know, uh, ambulatory care, or surgery centers, or emergency uh, rooms that we talked about last mm-hmm. time, or urgent care. All all of these things are now uh, looking at at how do they repurpose real estate. And I can tell you, right. I have friends of mine uh, that own real estate, and and. Over the last couple of years, they've been seeing more and more interest in healthcare. And by the way, they have more and more interest in healthcare because they see it as a stable marketplace. In the old days, where you had, you know, restaurants may have been stable, but now because of home delivery, you may not need a bigger footprint. Right. Uh, retail, so what traditionally been called, you know, small business or mom and pop shops, um, have had a lot of pressure from you know online uh, commerce and e-commerce mm-hmm. not just the the Walmarts of the world and 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 the Amazon of the world but there are many that now have a very different uh, delivery structure literally to the consumer totally, totally and good. i think and again that's probably been aggravated or or accelerated definitely by accelerated. the pandemic right. because i can tell you that i lived for months uh, except for food everything else was being delivered by something online yeah you didn't and, even have a basement <laughs> yeah so the, that that continued to grow. So people are looking at real estate opportunity. At the same time, we talked about last time, is the pressures that physicians are being placed by that reduced reimbursement and the cost of operations to continue to increase. Right. Everybody has been looking at adaptations, and uh, you brought up a couple of good ones. One um, one being the, um, the the retail and and the deliveries, and and we're even seeing that in grocery. Uh, a lot of grocery delivery going on. Uh, there is one company I read about recently in the UK relying heavily on robotics and, and delivery and have almost no storefront at all for the public. So it's, uh, it's, it's a very interesting shift in the, in the marketplace, but yet the delivery of healthcare is not able to adapt in some of those areas. I mean, you 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 can't use robotics and and uh, and home delivery to satisfy the needs for healthcare. It's a challenge because I can tell you that at one point, um, I was managing collectively about forty medical practices, forty different locations, and it was a nightmare mm-hmm. because you're dealing now with every facility looking materially different. Yep. Uh, the footprint was different. The 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 amenities were different, uh, and now you're seeing organizations that are going in there and literally uh, looking at specially provisioning a building, okay, or part of a building right. for 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 medical care, and because of managed care, which we didn't talk about the last podcast, uh, managed care is requiring now much more um, uh, collaboration in the delivery system. So instead of having a patient be sent to five different doctors in five different locations, what they're doing is bringing the doctors to one location and the patient only going back to that location. And particularly one of the things that we're seeing emerging in Medicare Advantage is that is facilities are providing transportation. Right. So right. it's a lot easier to transport the patient from their home to a central location than what it was. I can tell you, we did this 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Is we were making the patient, we were picking up the patient from their home and taking them to the primary. We we're picking up the patient from the home, taking them to the specialist, and the second specialist, the third specialist. And sometimes you still have to do that, but the reality is it's much better to have the doctors work together, uh, much more efficient, much more effective. Well, you get cl- collaboration. Collaboration, also. Sure. Um, especially today with EMRs, 
they're able to share the same technology. Well, tele instead, telemedicine also, right? And all, yeah. all those things together right. is creating an environment um, where it is much more, much more practical, uh, much better quality of care, much better collaboration, and much better you know, control of cost by bringing in a dozen doctors, 15 doctors, uh, in one location, multidisciplinary, so they could treat the patients at that same location. So that the patients used to go in that location for most of their health care. So the, the 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 point I guess that we got to in the in the last podcast was the decentralization of the real estate regarding the de delivery of care and moving uh, these clinics from being uh, around the hospital parcel, if you will, right. to more dis a a more of a distribution throughout the. Uh, the, the population providing better service, better care, better um, and 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 more uh, effective care, perhaps. Uh, the question is, does it improve the quality of care? Do you think? Well, I, I think the most the best the best way to improve quality of care is is by collaboration. So, right. literally being in the same building would be a great idea. Literally having the same staff. Would be a better idea. I can tell you that we ran medical centers like that, um, and it was very successful. We were able to improve the quality of care and reduce costs. Yeah. What people have a hard time understanding is the only way to reduce costs is to improve the quality of care. People think that you can restrict care, you can deny care, you can defer care. You can't. The right. only way to reduce costs is improving the quality. <laughs> so everything that that you could do to improve the quality of care whether it's it's changing the physical location, changing um, the communication between the patient and the doctor, changing the communication between the doctor and the doctor is value. So, for example, we've envisioned that these new type of medical facilities are going to have telemedicine, but not just telemedicine from the doctor to the patient. We're going to have tele... We're talking about telemedicine between doctor and doctor. Right. So if you're right. in a medical facility, okay, that has that... that, that, that that, that plan to provide, you know, the most care possible, it is very likely, very probable that you're going to have rooms where you're going to consult with a doctor, another doctor, via remote care. So imagine you're going to have a facility where the patient and the primary care are literally, okay, communicating using telemedicine, mm -hmm. okay, which is really just video, with right. another doctor for a consultation. Right. Because the doctor, the primary care doctor, can do anything that the other doctor needs. You know whether Correct. whether you know whether it's an observation, whether it's a test, or whatever it needs right. to get done. Right. Instead of taking that patient and think about the productivity society, you know, the society is literally putting them on a vehicle. They're going to go home. Then rescheduling something, going back, and you have all this movement. And by the way, if you care about the environment, we spend a tremendous amount of time just moving patients around. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, in the healthcare system, that and telemedicine by itself doesn't solve the problem. You need a healthcare professional. In some cases, you may need a nurse practitioner. Right. In some cases, right. you need a professional, the the physician itself, yeah. so that you could have physicians that could be consulting. Frankly, whether it's across the community, or across the country, so that kind of tele telecommunication um, is done in some hospitals, but it's not done on a day to day basis um, in physician practices. Because they don't have the resources, they don't have the critical mass, they don't have the the the, the scale that you're going to need. So I think all of this and that physical real estate that we're talking about is things that can be provided 
um, that that is not normal. It's not standard today. There are some rare places that are using it. Certainly, the very high end university um, medical centers are using it, right. but not literally at, at at the primary care at the local physician level interacting with sort of, I'm going to call it routine patient activity. True. There's a cost for that, and that's likely one of the reasons why, because primary care is is sort of on the lower end of the uh, the pay spectrum also. Um, one, one of the things that we did discuss the last time was the change in space utilization, the medical office building that we've seen evolve. I can remember as a boy, we had what um, in, in my hometown, we called it the medical, medical arts building. Mm-hmm. And I had, um, you know, my, my pediatrician was in there and there were other doctors I can't even remember now, but there was the pharmacy and formulary that was there and, and some diagnostic uh, area, um, x-rays and so on could be done right there in that building. And um, now we're moving sort of away from that. You know, we had moved to that, that had become uh, sort of the standard practice, and now the medical office building is now being almost, I don't want to say dissolved, but those those doctors are now moving and going to be moving out into neighborhood clinics more. Absolutely, but I'll, I'll give you two reasons why it's happening. First of all, medical office buildings are expensive. Yes. And for decades, and I can tell you this because I negotiated the contracts, the hospitals would basically subsidize effectively, uh, legally, by the way, because yeah. it was permitted, the 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 rents for the doctors in their medical office buildings a couple of different ways. First of all, the doctors generally either had to have admitting privileges uh, or had to have sort of guest privileges to admit just so they could they could theoretically sort of go see a patient if they needed to. Right. Um, the doc the hospitals would participate in and basically sort of almost like a lend lease of staff and personnel and equipment, all kinds of things mm-hmm. to make it to make it practical. The challenge is that hospitals are also getting a lot of pressure, economic pressure. Um, and the biggest problem is is managed care. Insurance companies now uh, are restricting, okay, with their panels, the doctors that are part of the systems and the hospitals are part of the system. So it's not automatic, automatically a given. As a matter of fact, it's, it, 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 you can assume it, that most of the doctors in a hospital are not going to be accepted by most of the insurance companies that the hospital accepts. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, mm-hmm. that just take that as a fact. And and what happens is in the medical arts building, one of the one of the original regions that that they were developed was the premise that you would have what we today sort of call almost like a group practice without walls, where the 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 primary care would refer patients to the specialists that were in the second floor, third floor, exactly. something like that. Exactly. Because it usually was, you know, historically it was indemnity, indemnity plans. So people would, would you know, they, it was not a, what, you know, it was not a provider network. It was not a closed panel. But today it 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 is nearly impossible to get doctors in the same floor to be approved by the same HMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, so forget about the same, you know, the same building. So that natural uh, pollinization that you could call it mm-hmm. between physicians, you know, whether honestly it was orthopedics and neurologists or neurology orthopedics or, or primary care to neurologists, orthopedics, that, that concept of basically the patient having a one-stop virtual building by going to the medical arts mm-hmm. building in a hospital is completely obsolete today. Well, the other thing you had in that medical arts building was centralized records. So you had a centralization of, of patient records and a physician that 
was now had a patient referred to them could call for that patient's record to be brought up. I, I didn't see that that much. Yeah. It, certainly in the paper, I mean, if they're part of a hospital group, mm -hmm. they could do that. But the challenge was it was easier, let's call it that way, uh, and maybe it's where, it's where you could have the patient, the doctor go call another doctor and get a paper copy, you know, sent upstairs, you know, or downstairs, whatever the circumstances, what relatively quick. Right. But today with electronic medical records, yeah. Uh, it actually is harder because if they're on two different systems, mm -hmm. you know, even with data exchange, even with the sort of the, the fantasy of interoperability, it's hard. It's a lot easier. It really is a lot easier to pull out a file from a, from a file cabinet um, and an and organizing system and take it down to, you know, copy and copy and move it up to the it, electronics is making it more, ironically, it's making it more difficult right. because, again, systems aren't. Aren't, aren't they may be connected, but it's not instantaneous, and it, it, you sort of have a push pull about it, Compa and you don't and you don't get all the information anytime. Right, and it's an interoperability compatibility right. issue. Yeah, but but totally. when you have doctors that are part of the same group that are part of the same ecosystem, uh, it changes. So if you've got a, a a doctor group that is accepted by one insurance company, then every every doctor in that insurance company. Or sorry, every doctor in that group is accepted by insurance company. Right. Um, and there's a lot, I think there's a lot better collaboration. So you're going to have larger practices that are going to be primarily based outside the hospitals. Why? Because managed care companies, you know, appropriately don't want the patients to get comfortable going to the hospital for emergency room. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if the patient, you know, has stomach indigestion, they should not be going to the emergency room. They should be going to the doctors or even in urgent care. So the whole idea is to try to get the patients outside the emergency room where they get better treatment, in many cases, if it's not acute. Um, but the reality is most admissions to the hospital are not, or most visits to a hospital emergency room are not life-threatening or not acute. And the reality is, and we've, we always talk about this, if you have better data coming in, again, back to the conversation about IoT and remote care, right. you can basically divert the patient um, and and get ahead of the problem before the problem becomes chronic. Yeah, I don't know why, but whenever I've had challenges uh, and, and 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 issues, it always seems to get worse at night when the doctors close. So the option is: do I wait in the morning and try to get the doctor, or do I try to go to urgent care or the emergency right. room? Right. No. I, knowing, I try knowing you to can't avoid, get to your doctor. I right. try to avoid hospitals as much as possible, yeah. even before the pandemic, um, because they're not. They're not safe places to be. Well, it's uh, I've I've heard more than one, and of course you know my my mother's background is as an RN and and running the second largest um, trauma center in Michigan. But uh, you know I've I've heard more than one doctor say that a hospital is not any place for a well person to be. No, I mean I, I can tell you experience I've had uh, going in our hospitals and 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 getting um, and and getting sick and getting literally. Um, uh, I, I had a bacterial pneumonia that, that, mm -hmm. that was horrible. Uh, and I know family members that I have that have gone into hospitals and came out with something that was really bad. Yeah. Um, you know, which is which fortunate is, everybody came, you know, overcame them, but it sure. was so difficult. Yeah, which is not, which is not to uh, demean the hospitals. It's just an issue of, of, of the, the size and, and everything that's going on. And, and uh, the, the numbers of people that are, that are there with a, Compound issues. So no, and, and even 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 doctors admit they don't want to be in a hospital because of, yeah. of all the things that can go wrong. Right. So I mean that's that's all the 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 big trends is to get outside the hospital, 
I mean, even hospitals are talking about sort of with with the pandemic, they were talking about having sort of remote emergency rooms and remote hospital room, remote ICUs even mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in some univer- big university hospitals. Acute, acute rehab. Centers. Yeah. So they would right. literally push them out to, to their homes, equip their homes so they can be monitored. And it was always theoretical, but with COVID, they realized they got the patient, getting the patients out as much as possible. So those are changes. That, that the lasting legacy, remember we talked about it in the uh, in the, the golden rat syndrome. Remember that conversation we had? <laughs> yeah. Where the, the, the positive of, of COVID um, are going to be felt for, for, for decade or decades to come because everything has shifted a little bit. Everybody realized that there are many times you can treat a patient remotely. And by the way, I am not a monster fan of telemedicine, even though our platform has telemedicine. Right. I, I look at it as, as really remote care. And in most cases, when I talk to doctors, I, over 90% tell me that they can get anything they need on the telephone versus video. Right. And in fact, he says patients get a little more nervous in video. You might say you get more comfortable. They don't get more comfortable. They get more nervous about it. And the doctor says they can tell a lot about a patient's voice, their 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 interaction with the patient. And the reality is some people say, well, there's certain things that you could see, not, not really, even with high definition. Um, you, I, I cannot imagine a doctor, the most extreme example is talking about is dermatology saying, well, you're going to have this or that. Right. All they could, might see is a mold. Listen, we got to come in and, and, yeah, and, and, we're and take see it out and, and do pathology on it. Right. Okay. There's nothing. And, and when people talk about, you know, I know the companies tried to come up with health plans. We're doing, they were doing uh, literally primary care as part of the health plan that was remote. And, and I'm sitting there. It says, how are you going to take the patient's blood pressure? How are you going to take their temperature? How are you going to check their blood glucose? How are you going to check their weight? All those things that are just a systems check Fun, that a doctor funda- needs to do yeah. is difficult. So yeah. if, if you know what's wrong, if the patient has something that, 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 that we would know, uh, let's talk about, you know, asthma is something that, you know, the, the symptoms are, are you know, recognizable. But f- frankly, you may not know what the patient's blood uh, oxygen level is. So, you know, it makes a monster difference if somebody's got asthma and they've got oxygen level of, say, you know, 96, 95 even, and somebody's got asthma and their oxygen level is 88 or 89. Right. Those are dramatic difference. I mean, one is can be treated probably. The other one literally is emergency room. Uh, because you're going to need immediately steroids. You're going to need, you know, inhalers. You're going to need a lot of st- oxygen. Okay, most people are not sitting home with oxygen uh, equipment right. or oxygen tanks. So when you get to that level, you're going to need a pretty, pretty aggressive stance. So those are things that I believe that 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 telemedicine and remote care is going to be a big play, but it's going to be a bigger play, in my opinion, in diverting patients from the hospitals from the urgent care centers and sometimes even the doctor's visits because I, you know, because we talk about getting the cost of operations and the cost it sometimes you could use optimally and save on the real estate costs mm-hmm. by using telemedicine. But that number at, again was a one or 2% before the pandemic. It went up to 70%. I think it was in April yeah. of 2020 April, May, and, yeah. and April, May. Right. And now it's back down. Last time I saw it was, you know, in the teens right. and on its way down. Right. Because the reality is the reports say that people over 70 went back to see the doctors as soon as they could, even before you had the vaccine. And now that almost every American over 65 that wants a vaccine has had a chance to get it, um, then they're much more likely to come and see the doctors. 
mm-hmm. um, because you, 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 there, there is a, a human element to healthcare that people forget. As much right. as we're in technology, right, uh, and technologists about it, you cannot replace that with, 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 with technology. Well, I think we've talked about that even before, you know, before this podcast that we probably in our lifetime will not see the need for a face-to-face with a doctor or clinician uh, because as sentient beings, we, we need that personal touch. We need that personal interface. Uh, so I, I, uh, I would agree. But we're getting back to what we were talking about here. Um, you know, we're looking at a different space utilization for a for a physician and a physician practice, uh, things that things that have really needed to change. One of the difficulties that I've always faced in business when I begin to decentralize is is the cost structure itself. And uh, but I think we've we've discussed some ways where that can be uh, that can be handled through a common a common structure of multiple clinics sort of grouping together and and then serving that population in that area and being more effective than what we have with a centralized medical office and hospital and and out parcels and that. Uh, so how do you how do you envision that so what I, together? What I think is going to happen, what I think is already happening, okay? It's just it's not we haven't seen sort of the the sort of the hockey puck effect or, or the the critical mass where everybody's seen it. Yeah. But I think what's going to happen is much more. Let's call it almost like industrialization of healthcare. Let me give you that's not a negative, it's a positive. Let me give you an example that you know a few years back there was a movie about the the organization of McDonald's and how Ray Kroc went in. And they analyze how the food was created, and and they sat there and they went through through a a a a a, a process, okay, uh, of timing what it went from station to station to station, and they relocated the equipment to again make it back, so you didn't have to go back and forth and back and forth and move around. Mm-hmm. So you know, almost like like it was a derby race, right? And what I think is going to happen, or do you think it's happening already? Is the optimum healthcare facilities are being designed in outpatient facilities, and let me tell you what I think they look like. I think they look like a single-story building, not multi-story. Okay, so the patient has easy access in and out. I think they're going to be in in high traffic areas. So instead of being way in the back somewhere, or you know, you know, way in the deep back of the medical office or, or the uh, the campus of a hospital, they're going to be right up front. Okay, they're going to be much more like like like. Um, like an out like a convenience. Like think about yeah. convenience stores. Okay, right. so more like in Florida here we have Seven Elevens and we have Circle Ks and things like that. So it's going to be right on the road. Okay, it's going to be advertised. The patient's going to be able to drive in very quickly, very easily. A lot of parking, obviously, um, but also a lot of capacity uh, to bring in you know uh, mini mini bands or mini buses w- with patients. They can come in and see them because they can have a lot of volume. I think these facilities are going to be. Um, you know, 10, 15, 20,000 square feet by, by their their size, um, you're going to be operating at least sort of like the 7-Elevens, which is another convenience store, seven, mm-hmm. at least 7 a.m. to probably 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe 11 one day, I doubt it, but certainly to 9 p.m. So you're using, you know, a lot more of that real estate longer. Um, and I think you're going to have uh, a share, a, a, com- a combination of three things are going to have primary care is going to be the drivers, 
because they're still, you know, the drivers in healthcare, especially the more you get into managed care, which is a conversation we've already had. Managed care is going to continue to grow. It's growing at an an alarming rate uh, statistically, but a really positive rate for both society and for patients. Uh, Of those 10,000 people that we've talked about entering Medicare every day, about half of them are going into managed care. Which is a managed, you know, Medicare Advantage plan. Mm-hmm. So that number is probably going to continue to increase. The number is like, you know, around thirty-five percent today. I would not. I would forecast it'll be eighty percent by the end of the decade, um, because you're going to provide a lot of services. Okay, a lot of value added to the patients. Right. Um, that Medicare traditional Medicare doesn't offer. So you're going to have a lot of primary care. I'd say probably a third to maybe a half. You're going to have a a third. Uh, maybe 25%, 25% third, that are going to be specialists. They're going to be specialists that are that are close to the patients, okay? You're not going to have, you know, surgeons for sure are not likely to be in those locations. Right. Uh, and invasive cardiologists are not going to be in those locations. But you're going to have, you know, things that are really important. So you're going to have, um, you know, uh, urologists. You're going to have cardiologists, non-invasive cardiologists. Uh, you're going to have at least some physiatrists, if not orthopedics. So all those things are going to be in one location, and they're going to have a component of what I'm going to call corporate medicine or corporate practice medicine or large group practices. You're going to have independent physicians mm-hmm. okay, that are going to be affiliated. Then you're going to have probably somewhere around a quarter, so maybe a third, depending on how you cut it again, is all of these what I call sort of wellness um, uh, disciplines. Uh, which are going to be both, by, by the way, including mental health probably. So mental health is going to be a component, but also you're going to have a lot of things like, like chiropractors, um, counselors. You're going to have um, uh, people that are going to be doing, you know, yoga and meditation, and you know, maybe, maybe there'll be assault rooms. I don't know. I don't know enough about it. Yeah. But there are going to be things that are really much more um, in the what usually called sort of alternative type of medicines or a alternative type of wellness. Yeah. And those are going to be put together. And you're going to have facilities that are going to have, they may not, when we get to, especially the later in the day, at, at 7 o'clock, your, your, your classes may be yoga classes, mm-hmm. um, maybe classes on, on nutrition. So you're going to have, it's going to be a center about, that's more than just medicine. Here's a here's a drug, and go take care of yourself. Right. So you're gonna have a lot more other things. You may even have about relationships and interactions, and and uh, and again, whether it's individual or group counselings. Right. So probably driven as much as anything by the demographic of that particular area surrounding that uh, that location, I would guess. What about you know if you're dealing with Medicare Advantage uh, patients? What about hearing and and uh, and vision. Um, well, hearing and say- vision are important, but I tell you what's what's been surprising to me um, is dental, uh, mm-hmm. and in Florida particularly, uh, almost all the health plans in South Florida in Medicare Advantage provide dental coverage, which generally is not covered by Medicare, yeah. unless it's some some real sort of medical reason, not dental reason. Yeah. Um, and yes, you have they have a lot of uh, additional value. Uh, in uh, in vision care, let's call it that, um, and I think you're going to have a lot more things that are going to be value added to those patients. Uh, for example, every Medicare Advantage plan in Florida offers uh, a gym membership. Mm-hmm. They used to be called, you know, one so, of them was called so, Silver Sneakers, so, the big one, but there are others. Yeah. So the idea is understanding. I, I don't think there's use as much as people think about, uh, but I think that uh, you're going to see a lot more interaction. 
because again, if 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 the facility, if, if let's call it the yoga classes are being offered at the medical wellness center, okay, at at what we call the total care centers, okay, then it's going to be much more uh, receptive, much easier, um, and it, the whole spirit of that facility is going to be about maintaining wellness. So that's really, really important. You know, we, we, it's what I call sort of the placebo effect. You know, how you feel about healthcare and wellness is as important as sort of the, the clinical aspect of it. Right. Well, and it, it occurs to me that, you know, a term we haven't used here recently is patient-centric. And that's really what these are. These locations are truly patient-centric now rather than provider-centric. Absolutely. Medical there, there's no question. That's what I talked about. I think at the beginning I used consumerism, and you're right. Patient-centric is more, more specific. Mm -hmm. But the reality is understanding now the the human, okay, characteristics. Is I've always liked to call. I've always preferred calling, and, and I'm not a caregiver. Never have been. Never will be. But I've always liked calling the patient the consumer, because that at least in my mind reminds me that we have a product that we're selling. Right. Okay? Right. Okay? That, 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 that whether we're paid by the patient or we're paid by the government or we're paid by the employer, if we realize that that the patient, you know, is a consumer, I think we're going to provide care. And I think that, that, and then the same thing with the use of technology. So one of the problems we've had in technology and sort of in, in, in sort of wrapping it up is that many times we've taken the patient and we give them a technology, we give them a a, a wearable device that says, you go figure it out and you go wear it and figure out how it works. What we're going to need in those physical locations is to take the patient, bring them into a technology room right. and say, we're going to teach you. We're going to hook up your Fitbit to your phone and your phone to the EMR platform right. so that you have it. That isn't done no. almost anywhere. No. So it, the reason why we're having such a, such a what I, I see as a battle between technology and healthcare is because of that. Okay, here's the package. You go figure it out. Right. Well, it goes back to compliance, just like compliance with uh, a care plan or or medication or whatever, uh, to get people to wear those those devices. That again, it goes back to compliance. So, sort of putting a capstone on on this, what would you say are the key um, success factors, the critical success factors now uh, as we as we move into really what is almost a, a new generation of healthcare delivery that is now more uh, population oriented rather than, and, and we'll, I'll use a term I used before, decentralized. What do you think are the, the key critical success factors? I, I, I think you, 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 you stumbled into it in the conversation was talking about the, the, the components of, uh, of, of consumerism. How do we get the consumer to understand it's a consumer and not a patient. Right. So it's all about the 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 breadth of services being provided. And, you know, one of the samples I love talking about historically has been the 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 the, the, the supermarkets and how supermarkets were created. Exactly. Okay. It, before I don't know 1910 or something like that. Uh, I think it was in rural Pennsylvania where where literally the supermarket was invented. You had the consumer. Okay. Right. Had to go to multiple locations to get all of their their staples and all their food, whether it was dairy or dry goods, uh, or or butcher. And and someone said, you know, they said we've got to change this. What I still see that we have we're at the at the beginning of it is that consumerization 
uh, where you're creating a change agent, and the change agent is not just technology, though we love talking about it. The change agent is an aggregation, and if, as we talk about it personally, is the blending in of technology, okay, uh, with healthcare, okay, so that you don't have technology on one side, you have healthcare, you, know, you literally blend it together. Yeah. So I think uh, I think that's where we're at. I think maybe in the next podcast we'll talk a little bit more technology, and that technology. Uh, the value of integrating technology into healthcare, into medicine, not having them in two separate components. Yeah, well, I think that one-stop shop example that you uh, that you used, I think that's that's the key. All right. So with that, um, we will thank all of you that uh, have listened to the podcast, and uh, we'll be back. And I think the next subject will be using more about how technology fits. Um, into the key pillars of, of healthcare delivery in the future. Right. How, how we infuse that uh, technology into healthcare. Technology infused care. That's a great term. I love it. Good. We'll leave it there. We'll continue next time. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about our company, please check out our website at oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io.